This episode of the Grown Up Girls Report is brought to you by McAfee, the world's leading cybersecurity company. Now, some of you may know that in my other life, I am McAfee's cyber mum, which means my job is to help families stay on top of the latest developments in the online world. We all know being a digital parent is a really tough gig. It can often feel completely overwhelming trying to stay ahead of the latest apps, games and risks. Well, here's some good news. If you want to ensure your family has Rolls-Royce level protection across all their devices, then listen up because McAfee is giving away 20 12-month subscriptions of its premium protection security software called LiveSafe to listeners of this podcast. Simply be one of the first 20 listeners to message me at my Cybermum AU Facebook page and you can score McAfee's award-winning software worth nearly $150. How good is that? Good luck. Well, welcome everybody to the episode of the Grown Up Girls Report podcast. Today, I'm speaking to a lady called Liz McKinley, who is the chair of Mary's House. Now, Mary's House is a hostel run for women and children who are escaping domestic violence in the northern area of Sydney. And Mary's House provides accommodation and professional services that enable their residents to be safe, hopeful and empowered to make the steps forward to actually rebuilding their lives. And actually, for International Women's Day this year, I actually hosted a very spontaneous fundraiser for this wonderful organisation um, because what really resonated with me when I came across Mary's House is the fact that it's not just women who are able to stay at the hostel but children as well. So um, I had a lovely group of ladies and we had a lovely night and we raised raised a little bit of money for Mary's House. So, um, so I was really pleased to do what I can. Many would argue that domestic violence in Australia is an issue that probably should be given emergency status. And while momentum and pressure have been building over the last few years, I think it was the story of Queensland mum, Hannah Clark, and her three beautiful children being burnt to their death by her ex-husband that threw domestic and family violence into the spotlight with a focus like never before. Now, Liz, thank you so much for your time today, for coming and spending some time with us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, Liz, let's talk a little bit about the state of play domestic and family violence-wise here in Australia. I found some stats which I just thought I might just run through. So the Australian Bureau of Statistics estimates that 2.2 million adults have been victims of physical and or sexual violence from a partner. They estimate that on average one woman is killed every week by a current or former, former intimate partner in Australia. In recent years, more than one woman a week has been killed and 74 Australian women and 27 children died in 2019, most at the hands of someone they loved. And, of course, Liz, these are just the reported cases. Alex, we say and uh, have been saying for the last few years while Mary's House has um, established itself and been operating, this is a crisis and a national emergency. If you break those numbers down, more than a woman a week is killed in a year and a child is killed every fortnight. How is that not a national emergency? The the challenge is as well that when we see these numbers, this is um, the extreme end of the violence continuum. 
women and children are living in all sorts of situations of violence and abuse. When it gets to the stage of physical violence, that's simply a more extreme end of a, a continuum of coercive control, psychological abuse, financial abuse, uh, taking away the rights and dignity of women um, and absolutely terrifying children in um, their form. So I know, Liz, this is an incredibly complex problem. Where do we start? We have to have a conversation as a society and a grown-up conversation that says, why is this happening? What, what is the sense of entitlement from the men that are perpetrating this violence that they believe they can do this kind of behaviour with impunity? Um, we know that domestic violence doesn't respect postcodes. Yeah. Um, you know, for a very long time, it was seen as associated with um, poverty and households that had less uh, resources. That's not true. You know, we have seen women coming out of some of the wealthiest suburbs in Australia uh, with $20 in their pocket and kids in the car. Yeah. So we have to talk about it as a community and my plea as one of the founders of Mary's House and, and the current chair of the board is our blokes have got to start talking. Absolutely. And they've got to, they've got to start talking to their mates, their brothers, their cousins, their yep. friends and say, you know how I saw you do X or when you are fighting with your wife or your sister or whoever, is that really actually a reasonable way to treat her? Yeah. Because like until good Australian men stand up and speak to the people that they know, mm. this continues to be a bunch of women talking about how do we keep our sisters and our friends and our daughters safe. Um, there has to be a fundamental shift in the dialogue. Yeah, no, I like and that. So, yeah, I like that. So blokes calling each other on bad behaviour, essentially. And exploring with each other, right? Um, one of the things we know is that for a lot of guys, if they've been raised in a situation of violence or they've been raised and the only model they've got of conflict resolution and control is abuse and coercive control, then they, they have no other skills to understand what to do. There are also, though, men who um, believe it's their right and uh, believe it's they're absolutely justified in what they do. So we've got to start having the conversation with men, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not actually talking about perpetrator programs because there's a lot of controversy about whether they work or not. Right. Um, not criticising them. I'm not an expert in, in perpetrator programs. I think from our perspective as Mary's House, we'd like a community conversation where good men stand up. Yep. and say, not not my mates, not my family, not my friends. Yeah. Uh, so, I like it. look, um, yeah, it's an important message, I think, for us to get out there. Um, the other is as well for women, um, you are not alone. And mm -hmm. I think we've seen today, Daniel Andrews um, has been on social media, the Victorian Premier, yeah. post um, the High Court decision about Cardinal Pell. And I think the important thing for us all to say for anyone that is reporting violence or abuse, I see you, I hear you, 
and I believe you. If we get those three messages out from your podcast, then maybe there's a woman that's listening who either herself is experiencing it and needs a bit of support to mm-hmm. think about moving um, or has a friend that she might be ready to have the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, Liz, absolutely. Liz, over the last few years, um, you know, the government, governments both state and federal have actually been throwing a lot of additional resources towards trying to change attitudes and there's been a lot of different organisations that are, are really giving it a red-hot go. But if you actually look at the stats, they're not improving. Um, and I know you've mentioned before that we need to start the conversation with blokes and I think that's wonderful and I think we can talk more about that later. But why do you think that the stats aren't actually decreasing? Is it as simple as needing to target the men more or is it a little bit more systemic than that? I think it's more systemic than that. Um, I think and have spoken with a lot of experts in this area Um, and people that have worked on the front line for decades. Um, And I think a question that is really, I've grappled with the answer to this question, and a very senior social worker who's worked in this for many years said she realised when she asked the question, why do men do this? Mm. And a colleague of hers said, because they can. That, I think, is where the summary comes, is... um, The police, I think, are definitely improving in their ability to understand the dynamics of what happens when they show up at a domestic violence incident. Um, I think the courts are starting to try to be more nuanced around uh, the power dynamics, patriarchy, the, you know, the women being so um, disempowered that, you know, her ability to navigate strongly through what is an adversarial court system is really difficult. Mm. Women's Domestic Violence Court Advocacy Service is an extraordinary service um, supporting women. Um, But the reality is that whilst men get away with it and it's not being reported or it's not being successfully dealt with in the courts, or she's unable to get away from him for good. And so the tragedy of Hannah Baxter, um, you know, Rosie Batty, when you when you read Rosie Batty's story, um, that's years and years of abuse and um, her husband unravelling. So it's in, um, in international development, which is what I do for my day job because uh, I'm a volunteer on the board, we call these wicked problems because wicked problems have got multifaceted as- aspects to them. So it isn't term, just... a great term. Yeah, right, yeah. it's wicked. Um, and so it's not just getting blokes to stop. It's working out how our policing response, our court response, the options for women, um, where do they go, how do they get supported. For many women, they're, va- they're facing a, a life of, of poverty, um, you know, what do I, how do I navigate that? So the wraparound services that are needed for women, there needs to be more funding for that. Yes. Um, a lot of the $150 million that came out recently from the federal government is for phone services. So, um, uh, you know, that's great, but you actually need frontline services. Of course, of course. You need, you need community centres. Exactly. You need places where women can come in a really innocuous way um, to find out what their options are. Um, There's a lot of misinformation out there. 
Uh, and I think for a lot of women, the thought of having to leave what is probably an awful situation for something catastrophic, yeah. you know, weighing up those options. And also if he's not prepared to let her go, thinking, well, you know, is what happened to Hannah Baxter going to happen to me? Exactly um, right. Exactly right. right? Yeah. So, so it's... There's a, there's a complex answer, um, but it, what I always think is if we had a good dialogue between local, state and federal government with service providers, we would actually create a pretty great solution moving forward. And, and that's what that's I, improving? I Is that improving, Liz, do you think? Um, I think it's different state by state. Right. I think, yeah, if you live in Victoria, there are extraordinary services. They had a Royal Commission post the Luke Batty murder. Yeah. Um, they've invested $3 billion in services. That hasn't happened in New South Wales. Right, okay. Right. Northern Territory has better services than New South Wales for okay. domestic violence. Wow. So, yep. Okay, there's so work we, to be done. We're, we're lagging. There's work to be done, right? Yeah. So... Um, and the sector is very much trying to engage in what does it look like for New South Wales. The other troubling aspect to this, Liz, from, from the research I've done, is that although the reported cases of violence haven't decreased, there's actually been an increase in women's requests for help and support through organisations such as your own, such as Mary's House. And in fact, many organisations report that they actually just can't keep up with the demand. North Sydney Police, for example, see the demand as being completely overwhelming and on any one night will turn away one in two women who are seeking a bed or, or refuge. Um, and to complicate things even further, we are now in the midst of this corona pandemic. So I wonder from your point of view, how do you find the demand and how is the corona uh, pandemic affecting that as well? Um, look, at the moment, we're in unusual times, right? Oh. So we, we um, so I'll give you an answer in two parts. Um, COVID uh, and what's going on right now, we're seeing a drop in referrals, but we know that the incidents are spiking. Yes, this because, is really true. Yeah. Right? Women are at home with their husbands working at home or their partner uh, or their ex-partner saying, you know, I now have to be in the same home as you. Uh, because it's such early days, we're not certain how it's going to play out. The major risk for these women is for a lot of, for people to get into a service, they have to find a referral point. Right. So it'll be their GP, it'll be the hospital, it'll be um, a counsellor, it'll be the local community centre. Um, there's the usual touch points that a woman has in her day. Well, we've all lost all of that. Of course. Of course. Right? You can't, you're yeah. not supposed to go out. Definitely. Now, the police have a great campaign at the moment saying, um, we're here and we will look after you. You know, you call us if there's a problem. Um, how is she going to call? Uh, where does she get the privacy? You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're in a part of your house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm in a part of my house. Um, how do you actually get the space, you know, to make yourself and then your kids safe? So we're working um, with other providers across the sector to try to work out what some strategies are for that. 
um, to get the message out that you can still leave and you can still be safe. Um, we're working on that. I think the need is definitely difficult um, in terms of beds. As I said, Victoria's ramped up their capacity. New South Wales hasn't. Okay. Uh, and so partly this is the reason that uh, Mary's house existed um, was we saw a need. Um, the important part about us is we're completely community funded. Yes. So we incredible. don't... Uh, we're, we've got an amazingly generous donor base um, and a great partner in the Marta Private Hospital um, in Rocklands Road, yep. Crow's Nest. Um, they are a major supporter of ours with our operating cost. Um, we didn't take government funding because we wanted to be able to provide a specialist domestic violence service. And if you get um, government funding for... Um, a refuge, you do have to um, be available for generally homeless women as well. Right, okay. And so that was a big distinction for us. When we started out, we thought, oh, actually, no, we want this to be a specialist domestic violence service. Um, that, you know, many of the other services are trying to manage um, around those government guidelines, um, but... We need more beds. We yeah. need more community outreach. That's yeah. just the long and the short of it. Yeah, absolutely. So would you regularly have women, obviously you would, who you just can't accommodate? Referrals uh, to at, the service you can't accommodate? At the moment, um, no, uh, because the our um, referrals have actually gone a bit quiet, but I think that's this initial pandemic of course. time. Um, one of the things that we do across all of the refuges is um, we refer to each other. Sure. Uh, an important, yeah, a really important point is if there's someone who's vulnerable in Western Sydney and we and the service believes that their partner is actively looking for them, they would move somewhere else in the state. Well, excellent. Yeah, good. Makes complete sense. And so that, yeah, and that professional network of our social workers is critical, right? Yeah knowing, you know, how to move people. I mean, what what Link to Home will do and FACS, Family and Community Services, who've got a new name, which I can't remember right now, um, if there's a crisis, a woman will be put into a hotel um, and uh, she will, they'll fund that for a okay. number of nights while a bed is found for her. Okay. So, so, so I think it's an... Oh, sorry, you go. His apologies. <laughs> No, no, you're right. That's an, a really important point for your listeners is for anybody worried that they're going to be in a homeless shelter or they're going to be out on the street with nothing, that won't happen. New, New South Wales has got a policy where um, if you show up at the police station or the hospital and you can't go home, then the government will provide you with temporary accommodation in a hotel until a service such as ours or any of the other great services um, across Sydney and New South Wales are able to assist you and work out what actually is the best, best set of services you need. That is wonderful. Sorry, and apologies for butting in before. I was just very, very reassured to hear that point because I I just know over the years, you know, um, I have had some, some friends in my life who've, who've had some tricky circumstances and I don't think that that fact was something that was ever, ever known and had it been, I think, 
possibly they could have been on a different, more positive trajectory. So that is just so reassuring knowing that no one will be be stuck. So thank you for for reassuring us with that. so, so Liz, can you tell me, so a woman, um, obviously Mary's house takes children. Not every refuge does. Uh, are you one of the only that, that does? Um, some do. Um, look, most refuges try to um, accommodate. Uh, the reason that we can take children, um, and there are some limitations around which kids we can take, sure. uh, we are in a communal house, but each room is its own they're very large bedrooms and they have a sink and a um, like a, a little, um, what would you call it, just a, a bedroom space. Yeah. So they can actually be fairly self-contained in their own room. Okay. Um, we can't take children that aren't vaccinated. Right. It's not fair to the other kids in the refuge and we explain that to the mum at the time and, and she can make a choice. We also struggled to take families with boys over 13. Um, unfortunately, the reality is that, um, you know, boys as they get into their 13, 14, 15-year-old are um, nearly men um, and there are a lot of vulnerable children in the refuge. In that circumstance, what we'll do is partner with um, a hotel provider uh, and we've got a few who are partners of ours, where they can go and stay in a suite for as long as it takes us to help them get settled somewhere else. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, the advantage for Mary's is, and for many of the other services, you run community case management. So you're doing outreach, which supports families in a variety of different um, configurations. So not everybody has to come to Mary's. Um, you know, some people do. Uh, some people we can support in the community. Some people we can support, um, particularly in our new service that's launching in a couple of weeks called the Daisy Centre. We're building it because we actually need community-based case management and we need groups and spaces where people can come and learn about expecting respect in relationships, financial counselling, uh, accessing personal counselling in situations of violence. Uh, so we're building that out as a second service um, as part of the Mary's House offering. Fantastic. And where will that be located, Liz? Uh, so it'll be um, in Neutral Bay. Right. Um, but we won't open until all of the gathering vans. Of course. Are- yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. So it'll be a virtual service. Um, there will be a 1800 number. Uh, and an email where people can access. So um, we'll start promoting that in a couple of weeks. Fantastic. That sounds wonderful, wonderful. And, again, that's all community-funded. That's self-funded mm. with community and, and the Mata Hospital. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. It is. We we are so blessed. It's, you are um, so blessed. You are so blessed. Because I know a lot of charities, um, obviously with the corona pandemic, are really finding that, you know, their bottom lines have been adversely affected with, you know, a lot of people out of work and people concerned about finances. Um, are you are you concerned about how that may affect you guys or you're feeling quite, quite good about things financially? Uh, we're feeling fairly good. We I sent out an email to all of our donors on Monday. Um, Hopefully you received it, Alex. I did, yes. <laughs> not, yes, I'll I did. Sure I did. Yes. Good. Great. Great. System works. Good. Um, 
We we have been very blessed with incredibly generous donors over the last five years, uh, and we've uh, intentionally built up a reserve. Uh, just, um, I've been running not for profits for twenty five years, and uh, we have lawyers and bankers and social workers on our board, and we all felt that we should build a, a really strong reserve. So we've actually said to our donors that um, because of their generosity, we don't need the money right now. Um, through this time, there are so many charities that actually do that we'd we'd really um, love for people to redirect their generosity to charities that are struggling, um, particularly the homelessness charities, um, charities that are providing food um, and services for people that have lost their jobs. Yeah. We're okay for now um, and will be for at least six months. Uh, so we're basically saying to people, thank you, but we'll see you on the other side. Um, we'll double our service and we'll keep providing what we can do, but perhaps direct your generosity to others that might need it a bit more right now. Yeah, no, what a, that's wonderful, 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 yes, because there's a lot of charities that need it, a lot of people need support at the moment. Now, Liz, it'd be great if our listeners could get a little bit of insight into what maybe an average day looks like at the, at, at the hostel. Um, is there a structure to the day? How does it work? Um, I think it's a great question because what it highlights is that each woman that comes into the refuge, um, she will get a case management plan designed for her. So our senior social worker and the case management workers, they will sit down with her and go, what are your unique circumstances? And the very first thing they do is safety. What's your safety plan? Then what's your financial plan? Do you know, what do we need to do to get you financially okay? Um, and then what what's your independence plan? Mm. Like what what are we working towards here? Uh, do you need to get a job? Do you need to get accommodation? Are you in family court? Are you um, is there an AVO? Uh, what do we need to do for the kids if there are kids? Are we finding them a new school? So each woman will have her own plan. And uh, if there are women that are working, then they're going out to work. Um, they're taking their kids to school, they're going out to work, and then they're coming home to the refuge. Oh, okay. You know, if they need to reskill for um, a, to go and get a, a job, they might not have had a job, then um, accessing training. Uh, so it's, it's quite a busy time for them when they're with us. You know, if you think about all the architecture of your own life, it takes a while to build that. Of course. Uh, and so that's what our caseworkers are supporting the clients to do as quickly and as safely and as um, empowered as possible to move them through the experience of the refuge so that they can become independent um, in their own lives, whatever that ends up looking like. Sure. Um, we do have, we obviously have a cleaner that goes in. Yeah. Uh, we have food deliveries. We change the linen. There's someone that looks after the maintenance of the house. So when the washing machine breaks down, you know, she gets people involved. Perfect. Um, you know, we have a lot of donated goods, which we're really grateful for. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of a an infrastructure around the house of managing resourcing and managing keeping it clean, uh, keeping it well-maintained. But then the case managers are really working individually with the clients to um, address their unique needs. 
Of course, I understand. So, and again, maybe hard to answer, but how long on average would a woman stay in the refuge? What what does an average stay look like? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, it's three months is what we're aiming for oh, as a maximum. Yeah. Any longer and it becomes a bit too hard to leave. Sure. Um, you know, it's you, you end up getting a bit stuck in the security of, you know, people providing food. Mm. We don't provide all the food, but we provide some food. Um, you know, we do all the cleaning. Um Residents do have to do some of their own cleaning, you know, and then all of a sudden you're out in your own flat having to deal with all of that. Of course, uh, of course. It can be yeah. a bit overwhelming and so, you know, we know that. And, and everyone navigating supermarkets at the moment gets that kind of oh, yes. uh, having to do it. So um, so three months is our aim um, okay. for time in the refuge. No problem. And then obviously when a woman leaves, I'm sure you provide support to her as she transitions back into normal life and into her own flat, et cetera. Definitely. So the aim is to help them live independently, right? So we don't keep doing everything for them, but we keep connecting them with services and we keep saying, you know, this this is a good thing for you to do, you know, counselling, uh, you know, making sure you stay connected to your job, Um you know, making sure your kids are being parented well. So um, there's a plan for each client as they leave. Um, and it's a long road, right? It's mm. it's a long road for people mm. to rebuild. Mm. Um, and hopefully their friends and family are able to kind of stay on that journey with them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, look, um, Liz, you know, in order for Mary's House to continue doing the wonderful work it does, obviously, you know, it, it, you, you, you have, you know, you need private funding, but as you say, things are quite good at the moment, so direct your funds elsewhere just for the short term. But is there anything else you you benefit from? Any, any, I mean, I know I often get uh, questions from people saying, oh, particularly after the fundraiser I had, would they, would they like some furniture or would they like some clothing? I mean, how would you respond to, to offers like that? Uh, look, we, um, we're so um, humbled by people's generosity. We really are. What we say to people is um, if you would like to donate clothes or furniture or um, lots of toiletry bags, um, mainly if it's generic, so furniture and clothes, um, if you donate to Vinnie's uh, at Crow's Nest, we yep. have a, a deal with them that we can send our women around because they're set up to manage that kind of volume. In the beginning, we used to say yes, and then all of a sudden we had three storage units. I we went, imagine. hang on a minute. Yeah. yeah we, we don't want to. And we do from time to time put out a specific call um, if there's something we need. And so if people want to be connected to Mary's House, um, you can go to our website, so www www.maryshouse.org.au let's get that wrong um, and just register your interest register your interest um, there are ways that you can um, demonstrate that you want to help out um, dropping off a, a carload of clothes is is probably not so helpful um, and even when We've had people so generous say, look, I'm renovating my kitchen. My actual kitchen's pretty nice and new. And we go, that's fantastic. Can you give it to Vinnie's? And, exactly. You know, we we access them as much as we need. Um, we are also on Facebook and um, 
yes. people can follow us on Facebook as well. And we put out fairly, you know, our important messages through that as well. Absolutely. I was just about to commend you on that. The Facebook page is excellent and it's updated regularly. And I think um, particularly at the moment as we navigate our way through this corona pandemic and, you know, the concerns a lot of people have about the spike in domestic violence and the possibility of women being trapped at home, I, I feel like you're doing such a great job of keeping people up to date with that. So so thank you. Um, and, and Liz, I suppose, you know, if there was one parting message that we could uh, share today with the listeners, if maybe one of our listeners was in a situation where they weren't feeling safe or has a friend that is, is not feeling safe and is thinking about leaving and worries about their children, what would your, what would your piece of advice be to them? Yeah, so um, work out what your plan is to leave, right? Um, because you've got to think through what you're going to do because um, a window will open where you can go. Um, the most important message is if you are in danger, call triple O, call the police, right? They will believe you, mm. you know, and, and you will be able to get away from the violence. And that's true for if it's a friend of yours as well. Um, the other thing that I want people to know is there is a, an army of people out there that want to help. Mm. You're not alone. Mm. I know you feel alone where in the situation of it, um, but we're not the only provider, um, we're one. Um, referrals at maryshouse.org.au is how you email a referral to us. Um, there is the domestic violence line. Um, there are ways that you can make yourself safe. So please don't feel that you're on your own. Um, there are a lot of people like me um, who are out there just hoping that um, you hear the message and can feel safe today. Yeah, I oh know that's that's very, very good to hear and that there are steps you can take and you can feel safe and you don't need to suffer by yourself. So look, that is, that is wonderful, Liz. So thank you so much for all you're doing and for this amazing organisation that you're heading up. I was just so delighted when I um, stumbled across and found you not long ago. So thank you for all that you're doing and for your time today. And um, let's stay in touch because um, I think this could be a wonderful synergy between the podcast and Mary's house. So thank you again, Liz, for your time. Oh. Thank you, Alex. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Grown Up Girls Report. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe. And while you're there, why not rate and review this podcast? I'd really love your feedback. Join me next time for another conversation for the grown-up girl. Thank you for listening. Speak soon.